Hi, this is Pastor Paul Jay Chandran. Welcome to Life Church Castle Hill podcast. I pray that the Lord will speak to you through the Word of God. We believe that when we open the pages of Scripture, we not only get a message from the Word of God, but we also encounter the God of the Word. May you encounter the God of the Word and may your life be transformed from the inside out. God bless you. Enjoy this message. Good morning, church. Good to be in the house of the Lord, wherever you're watching us from, whether it's in your living room or in a place where you're isolated, we just want to give you greetings in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I do believe that the Lord has a word in season for our lives, even as we look to him in this moment. This morning, <clears throat> as we bring the word of God, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, mighty God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being with us even in this moment as families are gathered around, whether they're watching through a television or a, or a laptop or a phone or a mobile device. Mighty God, we know that you are present with us. Lord, where two or three are gathered in your name, your presence is with us. And I thank you for your word this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher. Open our eyes and give us listening ears and a heart that is willing to understand and willing to obey the word of God. I acknowledge even this morning that wherever we are, mighty God, you have a timely word for us. So we give you all the glory, the praise and the honor in Jesus precious name. And the people of God said, amen. Amen. Wonderful. I want to start with the illustration. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson went on a camping trip, set up their tent, and then they fell asleep. Some hours later, Holmes wakes his faithful friend. Watson, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. Watson replies, I see millions of stars. What does that tell you? His friend asked. Watson ponders a minute, and then he begins to say this. Astronomically speaking, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, it tells me that Saturn is in Leo. Time-wise, it appears to be approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, it is evident the Lord is all-powerful and we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, it seems we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you? Watson asked his friend. Holmes is silent for a moment, then he speaks up. Watson, you idiot, someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> I'll give you a moment to laugh. It's all right. Sometimes we fail to recognize, we fail to see the right thing. One of the key questions to know in this season, one of the key things to develop in this season is the ability to see. What is the difference between a good leadership and a great leadership? It's the ability to see. What is the difference between worry and anxiety and a place of rest and trust in God? It's the ability to see. See, this is the moment where people are seeing with their visible eyes. But this is the moment for the church of Jesus Christ to be able to recognize that there is beyond a physical reality, there is a spiritual reality. If you want to understand what is going on in the world today, stop looking at the physical reality alone, but understand that there is a spiritual dimension, there is a spiritual reality. Understand this principle. Behind every visible and physical experience, there is an invisible and spiritual experience. In other words, long before it manifests in the natural, something is fundamentally happening in the spiritual. So you and I, as people of God, we need to recognize and to understand how do I navigate through this season? And the way to navigate through this season is to be ability to put the right lens and to focus on the right things. That's why whenever we teach the Bible in, in our church, we always say you need the right lens to wear so that you are able to glean the truth. And every time we open the pages of scripture, we always say there are two lenses or two things you need to be able to see. One is the ability to see the big God picture. 
In other words, you got to see theology, the big God in the picture. Every page of scripture reveals theology, a study of God, who God is, how he is revealed to us. That's why when you study the scripture, firstly, put on the lens, see big God picture. Then secondly, see the big God's picture. In other words, see the big God in the picture and see God's big picture. The second thing you got to see is the big picture that God is painting. In other words, God is accomplishing something on this world today. He has begun that in the Garden of Eden and he will complete it in the book of Revelation when he takes his church back and establish a millennial rule on earth. In other words, new heaven, new earth and a new kingdom that lasts forever. But I want you to listen to me carefully. God is doing something in the world today. So when you, whenever you and I read the scriptures, we got to see these two things. See God's big picture and see the big God in the picture. See God's big picture and see the big God in the picture. And this morning, I want to bring you to a narrative passage of scripture. As I was waiting upon the Lord for a word in season for us. You know, we are a church that teaches expositorily book by book. And we are going to start the book of Ecclesiastes from next Sunday. Because we believe that the book of Ecclesiastes is applicable. It's the sayings, the wise uh, reflections, the reflections of a wise man. And these things, are it's important for us to study in this season and age because the world system is crumbling. So as we look to next week to study from the book of Ecclesiastes, I want to teach you a word in season, give you a word in season that the Lord laid upon my heart in my time of prayer. And this word is found in 2 Kings chapter 6 and verses 24 all the way to chapter 7 and verse 20. It is about 27, 28 verses. And I want you to pay attention to this because in this narrative passage of scripture, the Lord is highlighting to us how as people of God, we need to respond. And I pray that God will give you the grace and the ability to be able to see clearly what needs to be seen so that you can position yourself for continuous victory. You can position yourself to continually walk in the freedom that God has given you. Praise God. Pay attention to the narrative passage. 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 24 onwards. Now, whenever you read a narrative passage, you and I, we need to put a certain lens. And I think if you're from Life Church, you would know this. There are four lenses we put on anytime you read a narrative passage. Number one, you put on a biblical, every narrative has a biblical tone. Every narrative has a narrative tone. The second thing is every narrative passage has a narrative tension. It builds up the tension. Every good story that grips you, that causes you to watch a, a movie, a, a gripping tale in a movie screen or something, it is because there is a tension that is built up. So every narrative has a tone, the way in which they communicate. Secondly, it has a tension built into the story. The third thing is there is always a twist in the story. Always remember narrative twist. In other words, you thought things will go this way, but it went that way. There's a surprise element. And the greater the surprise, greater will be the, the, the way that story engages you. And finally, it is a narrative theology. Every biblical narrative is a story about God. God is the hero. So you and I, we need to recognize that it reveals something about God. So four lenses that we need to put on. Tone tension, twist, and theology. So this morning, I want to pay attention to the tension that it builds up in this story. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 24 onwards, look at this. The Bible says, and I want to highlight to you, if you're taking down notes, there are eight tensions that are applicable in this passage. There are eight tensions. I want you to pay attention to this and feel how this was just building up. Look at this. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24 says, Afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. Let me pause. Samaria is the capital of the kingdom of Israel. And the king of Israel is now locked up together with his people. Now the siege is done by Ben-Hadad. He's a notorious king. He is a fearsome king. And here the Bible says he mustered all his entire army and he has come and besieged the city of Samaria. Now, you and I need to understand the tension that is building up. Why? 
because a siege in those days can happen from uh, one week to few years. In this case, it could have been a couple of years already because of the way the resources are depleted. So I want you to think about this. The gate of the city is shut. No one is going out. No one is coming in. It stops all the flow of traffic. It stops all the trade and the movement of people. Listen to me carefully. When movement is restricted, money will dry up very quickly. And when resources dry up very quickly, you and I will become at the mercy of others. So here the reality is the city is under siege by a fearsome king whose entire army is surrounding the city and nothing has been able to trade or move. Therefore, the city is experiencing its severe famine. Look at this, the second tension that is building up. Verse 25, there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Look at this. These are disgusting things. Nobody eats this. In other words, these are things that the Bible says are unclean. So a Jewish man will never eat this. But the Bible says even those unclean food that no one wants to eat is now inflated. That means economically they're going through a strain and a drain there. They're going through a recession. Look at this great famine. Food is now scarce. That's the nether tension. The tension of not only the siege, but the second tension is its severity. Thirdly, the tension is revealed in verse 26 onwards. Now as the king of Israel was passing by the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help my lord, O king. <clears throat> and he said, if the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you from the threshing floor or from the wine press? Here the king is coming to a place where he is declaring his helplessness. When people are going through issues, they look to leaders for answers. When a kingdom is besieged by the enemy, people look to their king for solution. People look to the government for solution. Here the governmental leader, the king of the land. He says, how can I help you when God hasn't helped you? Is this, is there, how can I help you from my threshing floor? Because nothing is there, no grain. Or from my wine press, because there's no growth, there's no fruit. Everything is dry and barren. I want you to recognize this. And verse 28, the king asked her, what is your trouble? She answered, this woman said to me, give me your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And on the next day, I said to her, give me your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. I want you to think about this tension that is building up here. People have now resorted to cannibalism. Wow, this is the worst kind. A mother boiling her own child so that she can survive. And when the king hears it, this is the severity of the siege, the famine. People are dying. And now people are resorting to, <clears throat> people are resorting to all kinds of uh, cannibalism. And I want you to listen to me. This is where the tension builds up. Now, tension number four, the king's unreasonable response. Look at this. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now when he was passing by the wall and the people looked and behold, he had a sackcloth beneath on his body. And he said, may God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Here is a king who is walking in spiritual blindness. I want you to recognize this. See, as leaders, we are helpless. But we declared the one who has the help, that my help comes from the Lord. See, Bible is filled with both the record of good kings and, and, and wicked kings. Here's a wicked king who has forgotten that there is a spiritual reality, that God in heaven is the one who is the sole provider. He's the one that opens doors that no man is able to shut. He has forgotten the invisible and the true reality that God is in control but rather he takes matters in his own hands. But because of his spiritual blindness, now what does he say? I'm going to kill Elisha. Why? Because Elisha has not offered any help up to this point. He is the man of God. He is the prophet of God. He has the word of God, but he hasn't. So what the king does, he wants to kill Elisha. Now, tension number five. Let's look at this. Elisha's encounter with his executioner. Look at this. 
Elijah was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence. But before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, do you see how this murderer has sent to take off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door fast against him. It's not the sound of his master's feet behind him. And while he was still speaking with them, the messenger came down to him and said, this trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for any longer? Listen to this carefully. While the Elisha was having a meeting with the elders, see, elders usually sit with the king and dialogue with him. But here, even the elders of the city had given up on their king, who is now walking in unrighteousness, wickedness, spiritual blindness. And instead, they came with the man of God. And here the Bible says, while they were still speaking, the king sent a messenger. And the messenger is rushing to now take Elisha's head. As soon as he comes, as soon as the word of the Lord comes to Elisha, what does Elisha do? He says, shut the door, close this door and hold fast so that the enemy cannot come in to do it. Was he trying to protect his life? Not really. You know what he was doing? He was waiting for the king who is coming behind this executioner. Maybe the king in his anger, in his moment of anger said, kill Elisha. But later he must have repented. And what he says, he is rushing behind him. And now the king and, the, and Elisha is having a dialogue. And the king actually confesses his unbelief. Look at the blindness that the king is walking in. He says, towards the end, he says, this trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait any longer for the Lord? See, you and I, we need to recognize this is the tension that is building up in this story. And as they are doing this, the Bible says... <clears throat> Elisha gave him a word. In 2 Kings chapter 7 and verse 1, the Bible says, But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Look at this. Elisha turned it around, and I thank God for those two words, but Elisha. And he stands up and he declares the word of the Lord that at this time tomorrow, that there will be a normalcy returning back, that famine will be over, recession will be over, that there will be normalcy that will come in and people will be able to buy flour at a normal rate. Look at that. And when he declares it and he says, this will happen in the gate of Samaria. Now, when you receive a word like this, if you are the king, you should believe. And if you are the advisor of the king, you should believe. But here the Bible says the next tension, tension number six, the captain's unbelief. Look at this in verse two. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God. The Bible says the king leaned upon this man. What does that mean? The captain whose hand the king leaned. In other words, this is the man whom the king sought advice from. He's the advisor for the cabinet. He's the advisor to the king. And here the Bible says this man spoke in reply, in response to Elisha's declaration, prophetic declaration, here's the response from the captain. He says, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Here is another tension. He says, you will see it, but you won't eat it. But this is the unbelief of the captain. I want to paint one more, two more tensions, and then we will look into the story in detail. Tension number seven, the decision of four lepers entering into the enemy territory. Look at this. The Bible says in verse three of chapter seven of second Kings. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. In other words, they couldn't be inside the city. They are outcast. They are outside the city gate. And these people, they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we will die also. So come now, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. If they will kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight. These four lepers decided that they would walk into the enemy territory, walk into this camp of the Syrians at twilight. Twilight is when the day is finishing and the night is beginning. It is that kind of a moment where everything you can see but not clearly. And this is the moment they arose and went to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. I want you to think about this tension. 
Four lepers decide to go into the enemy territory, and when they get there, no one is there. So what is going on? Verse 6 beautifully says what happened. Because as the four lepers stepped out and walked into the enemy territory, they decided, we are going to die here. There's no food. If you go into the city, there's famine. There's no food. We will die. If we go into the enemy camp, they may kill us or they may let us live. So let us decide to go. But when they were acting out like that, just going about their business of trying to survive that season, Look what God did behind the scenes. In verse 6 onwards, the Bible says, For the Lord made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses and the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. Wow! Four lepers walking naturally, just, just taking normal steps, dragging their feet into the camp of the Syrians. But the Bible says the Syrians who are staying in the camp and they are eating and they are, they are having a good time because they have besieged the city and they have been tormenting the people. What happened? The Bible says God opened their ears. They heard chariots. Wow. Suddenly, they concluded within their own mind, the Egyptians are coming. The Hittites must have come. All these people must have ganged up, and king of Israel must have asked their help. So they're ganging up against us. So they fled. Wow. When these lepers, verse 8, came to the edge of the camp, they went into the tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. What a party they had. Four lepers just acting out for survival. God supernaturally intervenes and turns the situation around. Now they are, they hit the bucket load. In other words, now they got the, they got the gold, the silver, the food, the clothing, everything. So first time they went and hit some things. They came back to collect again and went back. Bible scholars say they did up to four times. <laughs> and then suddenly... Another tension builds up. This is the last one, and I want you to see this because don't miss this because this is where the true theology comes out. The Bible says here, after, after all that, they ask themselves, and this is the greatest tension, shall we keep this to ourselves? Verse 7, verse 9 says, Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. Wow. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. And they ran and they said to the king's household. Again, king's household did not believe. But then he sent two people to go and check it out. And finally, they came back and gave the report. True, the lepers are right. Syrians have abandoned and they ran. And then the Bible says in verse 16, look at verse 16. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a seah of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. I want you to pay attention to this. I want you to think about this. The theology is God is good to his word. God is true to his word. He will fulfill it. Now, I want you to think about the tension that builds up. Eight kinds of tensions I've just highlighted for you. I want you to whet your appetite so that you read this passage again. Maybe if you're a parent watching this with your children, after the service is over, I want you to take a moment to read the passage again and do an enactment. See, this is a narrative passage. And Charles Spurgeon, when he, when he wrote to the preachers, he actually said, use your sanctified imagination when you read the scriptures. So for children, storytelling is key. So why don't you take a moment after the service is over to sit down with your children and to read this together, put the tone, the tension, and make it a story for them and help them see how God is true to his word. Praise God. But for you and I this morning, I want to take this moment to unpack this passage and give you three applications. I want you to listen to me very carefully because many times we don't address the root issue. Many times we only address the symptoms. And whenever you are trying to address the symptoms, you always mess things up. Let me give you this example. You know, when, when a person is institutionalized, before they are in a psychiatric environment and they want to release that person back into society, back into their family, 
they will do a final test. And the test is this. They will bring them into the toilet and they will make the water uh, be filled in the water tank, the, the bath. They will plug the bath and they will allow the tap to be open and let the water overflow. And the water is keep, keep on overflowing from the bath and wets all the floor. Now they will give a mop to this person to recognize whether this person is able to understand what needs to be done. So if they come back after 15 minutes and the person is just still mopping the floor, trying to clean the water, clear the water, without turning off the tap and without unplugging the sink, then they know this person is not ready to go back into society. I want you to listen to me carefully because you don't, un you don't try and address the symptom during this time. You and I, we are always concerned about understanding what needs to be plugged in, what needs to be screwed, what needs to be tightened, what needs to be in place, how to fix it right. So I want to give you three things as I observe in this passage. Interestingly, when you study this passage, there are three passageways, the Bible says. The gate of the city was shut. The door, Elisha's door was closed. And the captain in chapter 7 and verse 2 says, how can this be in response to the word of God unless God opens a window in heaven and make it happen? I want to give you three passageways. The shut gate, the closed door, and the open window. I want you to repeat after me. Turn to your neighbor and dazzle them with your brilliance. The shut gate, the closed door, the open window of heaven. Why these three things are important? Because in life, these three things are something that you and I, we need to understand. See, I want you to pay attention to this. What is this shut gate? The shut gate is a public passageway. The closed door, that means Elisha's door that he closed against the enemy, is a private passageway. But the window of heaven that needs to be opened is a privileged passageway. I want you to think about this. The shut gate is controlled by the enemy, whereas the closed door is controlled by you. But the open window of heaven is controlled by God. The shut gate represents what happens to you. The closed door, what happens in you. And the open heaven, it what happens for you. I want you to think about this very clearly. The shut gate is what is going on in the world right now. The shut gate, no trade, no movement, everything restricted. It will end up in famine, scarcity, people dying. And that's the beseeching that we find in this passage. The shut gate. But then Elisha had the privilege to shut the close the door of his heart. I want you to listen to me carefully. The enemy will always try and attack you but you have the privilege to close the door to your heart that he doesn't trouble you. Elisha remained in peace even when the executioner came to him. The shut gate is what happens in the world. The closed door is what happens in your heart, but the open heaven is what happens in the heavenlies on your behalf. Now, why is this important? Why we need to study this? Let me give you this principle. Take this down. Regardless of what happens to you, in other words, there's a shut gate in your life. Regardless of what happens to you, you are still in control of what happens to you, in you. Regardless of what happens to you in the world, you still have control over what happens in you. And because you have control over what happens in you, you can align your life back to the word of God, you can align your life to the will of God, and therefore, ultimately, God will choose to open the windows of heaven and make good things happen for you. Let me repeat that again. Regardless of what happens to you, shut gate, you are in control of what happens in you, closed door. Ultimately, God will open the windows of heaven and make good things happen for you. Hallelujah. I want you to listen to me carefully. Why? Because people, even including Christians, are gripped with fear at the moment. There is a shut gate. Maybe there is a shut gate in your marriage. Maybe there is a shut gate in your business. Maybe there is a shut gate in your health. Maybe there is a shut gate around you, in, your, in the economy. 
and people around you are living in fear and in a shut gate, can I humbly say, just because something is happening around you doesn't necessarily mean it has to happen in you. You still have the right and the authority to close the door to your heart and to say, I will stay and remain in faith and in peace. The moment you close the door to your heart against the enemy's invasion, something happens. You can position yourself under the mighty hand of God so there is a window of heaven that is open for you. I want to declare this prophetically over you this morning. Doesn't matter what you're going through in life right now. Maybe this, is, this coronavirus is just a recent impact in your life. But maybe you are in a season and you are saying, I can't wait for 2020 to be over. I can't wait for this season to just finish off because I've already been in a siege for so long in my marriage, in my, in my, in my finances, in my health, in my career. But this has come and made even worse. And it causes a severity. Can I humbly say this? Whatever happens around you, you can still control what happens in you so that you can position yourself, align yourself with the will of God and the word of God so that things will happen for you by God. Hallelujah. No corona can touch heaven. Heaven is not bankrupt. Heaven doesn't say there's famine here. In other words, you and I, people of God, can rise up. So let me give you some things that I find in this passage that really spoke to me. Can I give you a principle to write down? This is a principle I want you to write down. An open window is better than a shut gate. An open window of heaven is better than the shut gate of a city. I want you to position yourself before God. So I want to study Elisha here. Because the executioner comes, he just closes the door and says, just hold on to that door. Because I won't die today. But instead, in, in chapter 7 and verse 1, he declares, but Elisha, he declared the word of the Lord for that season. I want you to read verse 1 with me. He says, hear the word of the Lord, and thus says the Lord. Two things he says. Twice it's repeated for us. You know what? Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Can I humbly say this? Whenever you're going through a shut gate experience, Take time to go before God and get a word in season from the Lord. A promise from the Lord that you can hold on to. Because the Bible says, how do you stay in faith? How do you overcome something in this world? 1 John chapter 5 verse 4 says this. That faith is the victory. Faith is the one that gives you the ability to overcome the world. Overcome the challenge. And the faith comes, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God again and again so that faith arises. You hear the word, you declare the word. That's why you and I, we need to go before God and say, Lord, what is it that you're saying to me? What scripture can I hold on to? What is the word from the Lord for my church, for my ministry, for my career, for my relationships, for my family? What is the word of the Lord in this season? Because if you have a word, you can stand like Elisha and declare. You can shut the gate. The enemy can shut the gate. You can close the door of your heart from fear, from panicking. And you can stand under the open heaven by declaring the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 29. I want you to read this together with me. Come on. Three, two, one. It's not my word like fire, says the Lord. And like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Look at that. How beautiful it is. The word of the Lord is like fire. The word of the Lord is like a hammer. In other words, there are things that, is that, are, things that are coming against you. Do you have the word of the Lord? The moment you keep declaring the promises of God, the word that God has given you over this season, it is like a hammer that breaks and shatters everything that the enemy throws at you. Hallelujah. The word of God. You and I, we need to go before God and hear him and have a word. You know, one of the things that uh, people ask me in this season is, Pastor, what verses should I quote and hold on to? I think all around the world, all the churches are quoting Psalm 91, isn't it? How beautiful that verses are. No evil shall befall you, neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. The Lord is your keeper. Hallelujah. He gives his angels charge over you. How are you, how are you this morning? Are you holding on to the word of God? You know, this uh, week, my wife and I, we celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary. I'm thankful to the Lord and I'm ever grateful that she said yes. And I'm grateful because every single day of my life, I recount the blessing of the Lord in my life. I treasure my marriage, people. 
and I know the people of God in my church, they know it, that I treasure my marriage because I recognize it as a stewardship from God, that God has entrusted this beautiful girl to be, uh, for me to steward and for us to grow together. You know, we fell in love in a Bible school or bridal college, they call it. We fell in love on the 16th day after she met me, got to know me on the 16th day. See, I came from India and she came from uh, Sydney, Australia. We met in Singapore in a Bible college on the 16th day. She said to me, would you marry me, please? And I said, yes. From that day till today, I'm thankful to the Lord. But the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because I can sh share with you numerous shutgate experiences in my life. Numerous. The first, first shutgate was when we wanted to get married and come into this country. I knew that God has called me into Australia. I knew God has called me into this church. I knew God has called me into this family. But you know what? For me to come into the country, there was a shutgate. The Lord, word of the Lord was very clear. The, God gave us a word and said, I want you to get married in 12 months. How did we get that word? Esther chapter 2. Esther prepared herself for 12 months. And my wife one day excitedly came to me and said, God told me to wait for 12 months and then marry you. She said, you're the king. I'm going to marry you. Hallelujah. So this is what happens. 12 months later, we fix the date. We, we're fixing the date. But I have to apply for a visa. When I apply for the visa, there are only two options to come into Australia at that time as an Indian passport holder. Only two ways. One, you can come in as a student, then get married, and then transfer your, uh, into a permanent residency. The second way is to apply through a prospective spouse visa. When I went before the Lord, you know what the Lord said? Go with prospective spouse visa. So we applied. Ten-page letter came from the embassy, and the ten-page letter said, you got to prove genuinity of your relationship. Give us email exchanges, travel itineraries, photographs taken together for three years. And by that time, we have only been together for six months. We hardly traveled together. We hardly had any email exchanges. We hardly took any photos in those days. So we didn't know how to prove. But the grace of God was, they told us it would take 72 weeks for the visa to process and the visa could be rejected at the end of 72 weeks. We didn't have 72 weeks. We only had 30 weeks or so for our wedding. So we went before the Lord and we said, Lord, what do we do? There's a shut gate. God said, continue to remain in a posture of faith and keep moving forward. We held on to the word of God that God is able. He's a God who is faithful to his character. He's faithful to his word. What did happen 20 days before the wedding? I'm cutting the long story short. In 26 weeks, the case officer who looked at my case said, my superiors want to release the visa to you. Here's the visa. Nothing has been proven. They gave me the visa 20 days before the wedding. I landed in this country in the month of March on the 5th of March. I remember these things fondly. You know why? Because I recollect the faithfulness of God. Just because there is a shut gate doesn't necessarily mean I need to allow it to rule my heart in fear and panic and anxiety and worry. I have the, uh, I have the control to close the door of my heart and to still remain under the open window of heaven. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, an open window is better than a shut gate. Come on. Hallelujah. I want you to listen to me carefully this morning. The Bible says here, Elisha declared the word of God. So I encourage you to go before God, get a word in season and keep declaring the promises of God. You know, every single day I declare over my children that all my children shall be taught by the Lord. Isaiah 54 and verse 13, that no weapon formed against us as a family shall prosper because every tongue that is raised against us, we shall condemn them in judgment for this is our inheritance and our righteousness is from the Lord. Hallelujah. I want you to lay hold of a promise of God and keep declaring it prophetically. The second thing I find in this passage is the captain's unbelief. See, king is totally spiritually blind. But this captain at least has a certain awareness of who God is. And look at what he says. He says in verse 2 of chapter 7, he says, Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? Firstly, he asked a question. Secondly, he introduced a doubt into that question. Thirdly, but even in the midst of all that negativity, he does acknowledge there is a window in heaven that can still be open. I want you to listen to me carefully. Why do questions, why did Elisha get worked up about this question? He said that you wouldn't see it, but you won't eat any of it. See, questions reveal the, 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 the person's heart, the condition of the heart. See, in the Bible, there's a beautiful story of two contrasts. A contrast in Luke chapter 1, where Zechariah was visited by the same angel. 
Mary was visited by the same angel. Both of them were given the same kind of news that Zachariah's wife Elizabeth will conceive and give birth to a son. And Mary, who's a virgin, will give birth to a son. Both asked the same question. How can this be? But one, Zechariah, was judged by the angel. He was disciplined by the angel. Whereas Mary, the Bible says, you are blessed and highly favored woman of God. In, and instead, she was blessed. What was the difference? Both asked the same question, but what was the difference? One asked, heart was still submitted to God, but mind was still curious. How can this be? That was Mary. But Zachariah's heart had been filled with unbelief, had come to a place where his heart is so hardened that he can't receive the word from the Lord. In other words, one was a soft heart that said, Lord, I want your word to happen in my life, but I want to know how it will be. That's an innocent one asking. But the one that asked previously, how can this be? My wife is too old. I'm too old. You know what? That was coming from a heart of unbelief. So here, the question came from a heart of unbelief. The captain was filled with unbelief. You know that people of God, when you're going through a shut gate experience, you will always have the propensity to go and ask questions. But many times you ask the wrong kind of questions. How many listen to me carefully? Ask the right kind of questions because this is the principle. Take it down. This is the principle. When you are going through a crisis, when you're in the midst of a crisis, pay attention to this. Don't question the goodness of God. Rather, trust in the godness of God. Let me repeat that again. Don't question the goodness of God, but rather trust in the godness of God. That God is God and there is no other. He will fulfill his plan and his purpose. His word will come to pass in my life. Hallelujah. Here the Bible says he asked a question. You know, as I was meditating upon this, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit reminded me of a beautiful passage in the Psalms. And this is a lot of scriptures we are going to read today. And I want you to read it because it will be on the screen. And I want you to read it together with me. Psalm 78, <clears throat> verses 12 to 25, and then verse 40 and 41. Let's read it. In the sight of the fathers, he performed wonders. In the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zon, he divided the sea and let them pass through it. And made the water stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud. And all the night with a fiery light. Fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness. Gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock. And caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they sinned still more against him. Rebelling against the most high in the desert. Verse 18, they tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against him saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Pause. Can God spread a table in the wilderness? What's the answer? Of course, yes. But they asked a silly question. They have seen the miraculous power of God. They've seen how God has done all these incredible things. Yet in their heart, they asked a fundamental question that was so silly. It was so stupid. But the Bible reveals the condition of their heart that they were testing God. They were provoking God. They were rebelling against God. Look at this next verse, verse 20. He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams flowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Hallelujah. You know, church, when, no matter how good God has been in your life, that first encounter that you have with him where you encounter a crisis, you certainly come to a place where you recognize there are questions that arise. I want you to reflect in your heart. Look at this in verse 21. Therefore, when the Lord heard he was full of wrath, a fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. How often, verse 40, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness. How often. And grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again. And the Bible says they provoked the Holy One of Israel. Do you know that word provoked the Holy One? Is in another translation says they limited the Holy One of Israel. Do you know people? When you and I forget who God is. That he is well able. 
that he's sovereign, he's good, he's wise, he's always in control, he will bring his purposes come to pass. When you and I forget that, you know what will happen? We will limit the Holy One of Israel from working in our lives. Can I humbly say this? When I look at this passage, I pity the King of Israel. The Bible doesn't even mention his name here. You know why? It's like as though the man has been dismissed. The Bible just casually mentions the king of Israel, doesn't put his name. You know why he doesn't? Because it is a fact that he has just backslidden to the point where he is spiritually blind, cannot see the realities, the invisible realities, cannot see that there is a God in heaven who has been faithful to his covenant, to his people. Hallelujah! So you and I, we need to come and recognize that during times of crisis, don't have spiritual blindness. Let your eyes of your understanding be enlightened so that you will know the hope of your glory, so that you know the hope of all that God has provided for you, the resources that are available to you even in this time. So a shut gate, close the door of your heart. Walk under the open window of heaven. Hallelujah. Again, turn to your neighbor and say, an open Window is better than a shut gate. Come on. Hallelujah. <clears throat> One of the beautiful things is when you and I come before God and say, Lord, have your way in my life. I don't know what is happening, but yet I know the God who holds my future. You know, when I was young, I, the very first song I remember as a young boy, I sang before the Lord in worship was the song. I gave a solo. This was the song. Because he lives. I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because I know, I know he holds my future. My life is worth the living just because he lives. If you know that song, do you want to sing together with me? Come on. Three, two, one. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, I know he holds my future. My life is worth the living just because he lives. Hallelujah. Because he's alive, because he's alive, he holds my future and he will lead me into that future. Hallelujah. Have faith in God. I want to share with you again that principle. Regardless of what happens to you, which is the shut gate, you can always control what happens in you. That is the Close the door of your heart from fear and panic and finally come to that place. Ultimately, God will make good things happen for you, for you, hallelujah, for you, hallelujah. I want to read a scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 12. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 12 says, The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give you the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you shall go only up, only go up and not down. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. Hallelujah. I want you to recognize this. That God is at work. He's planning to give you that miracle, that, that provision, even in the midst of a shut gate. Can I humbly say this? The word of the Lord was from Elisha to the children of Israel. That at the gate of Samaria, that they will receive this surplus. That they will receive a turnaround in their famine. At the gate. I want to speak prophetically over your life. And I want to declare the place of famine is the place of favor. The place where you see a shut gate is the same place where you will have a window of heaven open for you. The place that is worst will be the place that is best for you. The place that of pain will be the place of pleasure for you. The place where you struggled will be the same place where there will be strength for you. The place where you were shamed is the same place God will lift you in glory. The same place where you had disappointment will be the same place where it will be turned into a divine appointment. The same place where you had reproach will be the same place where you have double honor. I declare 
prophetically the place of adversity will become a place of advantage for you the place of annoyance will become a place of anointing for you the place of irritation will become a place of exaltation the place of testing will become a place of testimony the place of tears will become a place of cheers the place of humiliation will be the place of jubilation the place where others thought you're finished is the same place where your favor will exalt you the word of God says in Psalm 30 and verse 5 his anger is for a moment but his favor is for a lifetime I declare that over you in the name of Jesus hallelujah do not fear shut gate close door open window before I finish I want to give you the secret to the open window because many times we forget to recognize how this open window functions in our lives. You know, there's only two times apart from this place, the Bible says there is a window that will be opened by God. Only two places, Genesis chapter 7 and verse 11, where God opened the windows and poured flood on the earth in judgment. The second time it's mentioned is in the book of Malachi, chapter 3 and verse 10. Bring tithes into the storehouse that there may be food and test me in this, says the Lord, if I will not win, open the windows of heaven, the floodgates of heaven for you, so that there will be no room to contain it. I want you to listen to me carefully. You know, many years ago, I was invited to a conference in London. I was preaching with some of these uh, international speakers and they were hosting a lunch for these speakers together in a, a fine dining environment and we were just chatting and, and the conversation suddenly, they were talking among themselves and this conversation suddenly went into giving and it talked about tithing. And they were coming back to Malachi chapter 3 over and over again and referring to it. Now, if you know me personally, you would know that I don't say something because I have, I, I have to say something. I say something in a situation because I have something to say. So in that situation, I realized that there was an erroneous thinking around tithe. Because many times, people always go back to Malachi 3 only when they talk about tithing. So that day, I gave them the theology of the book of Malachi. What is the theology of the book of Malachi? It is this. The theology of the book of Malachi is, I'm an unchanging God, and I love you with an everlasting love. But don't be unfaithful. Come back to me, says the Lord. I want you to read this passage because this is the secret to open heaven. I want to give you the secret. This is the secret to open heaven in the midst of all the shutgate experiences. What is it? Return back to God. In, in Malachi chapter 3, if you look at the context from verse 6, verse 6 the Bible says, I the Lord changeth not. In other words, God says, I'm an unchanging God. Then in verse 7, he says to the people of Israel, come back to me, return to me. Look at this in passage in, in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 7. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. He's calling his people to come back to him. Leave their ungodly ways. Leave their ways of unbelief. Leave their trusting in their own ability to rescue themselves. Come back to him. When you return to him, what does it mean to return? See, many times in crisis, people always turn to God, but they don't return to God. Return to God means I burn all the bridges. There's no turning back. I give myself completely to Him. I give all aspects of my life to Him. So return to God. That was the first request from God. Return to God. Then the question came from the people. How shall we return? Then in answer to that, the Lord asked them the question, Will a man rob God? How have you robbed us? Says but yet you are robbing me. How have we robbed you in tithes and contributions? So that's where he goes back to talking about the tithe. Why does he put an emphasis on tithe here? It's because when God is not on the throne of your heart, something else is. I tell you what it is. It is resources that are in your hand. The security is found in the earthly mammon. But the Bible says when you truly return to God, Everything about your life, you trust him and you say, Lord, you are the rightful owner. I'm merely a steward and therefore I honor you with my substance. Tithe means a tenth of all your income belongs to the Lord. Now, this is the only place where the Bible says he opens the window of heaven for his people. Now, this morning is not a message for tithing. I speak to the tithers who are already committed to giving to the house of God because they recognize it's a stewardship unto the Lord. But I want to declare the blessing over you people.
because many times we don't understand the power of living under an open window of heaven. Look at what the Bible says here in verse 10. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Hallelujah. Doesn't matter whether it's shut gate or closed. You come to a place where you live under the open window of heaven. This is what it is. I will rebuke the devourer. Verse 11. In other words, many times the Bible says you resist the enemy and he will flee from you. But this one time the Lord says, if you return to me. In other words, come and give your life totally to him. Not double-minded single-minded completely return everything back to him all aspects of your life your marriage your parenting your future your career your ministry your health your church everything return back to him and when you acknowledge that you're mere steward he's the rightful owner and you live and that and that instance when you trust in him and rest in him the bible says i will rebuke the devourer he will rebuke the devourer not only that so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. You will bear fruit. The famine will not come. Thirdly, your wine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you are a land of delight. Can I humbly say this? Return back to God. That is the theology of the book of Malachi. You don't go to Malachi chapter 3 just to study about tithing, even though that already belongs to God. But the reality is your life belongs to Him. I don't know who you are, but this morning, with much burden in my heart, I speak this to you. I see prophetically a woman crying and just waiting upon the Lord to say, Lord, just this year I've gone through divorce. And my future looks bleak and uncertain. There's a worry for my parents and a worry that I carry in my heart that no one understands. I feel the loneliness because there is no man in my life. Can I humbly say, my dear sister, the word of the Lord comes to you even this morning very clearly. And I heard this when I was praying for you this morning. I don't know who you are, but the Lord impressed upon my heart for, to pray for you. And this is the word of the Lord for you. You return yourself completely to him. He will be the man where there was no man. Mary, when she needed the word of God, no, nothing, she said, how can this be? The word of the Lord to her was nothing. Is impossible with God. You know, nothing, the word nothing means no word is impossible to God. When God has released a word, it will surely come to pass. The Bible says, He is the father to the fatherless. He is the defender of widows. When life has dealt you a bad blow, this is the time for you to anchor yourself in the word of God. Return to Him wholeheartedly in every aspect and you will recognize that you live under an open window of heaven. This morning, doesn't matter whether you're young or old. Can I speak to all my aunties and uncles who are watching this? Doesn't mean that you're related to me. I'm talking to the people in our church, older people. I consider you as my aunties and uncles before the Lord. And I'm praying for you. Don't be in fear. But come before the Lord and declare this boldly. A shut gate. I close the door of my heart. But I have a window of heaven that is open for me. Live in that open window. And when you live in that open window, I tell you what, God is able to reverse that famine into favor. You know, one of the things I said to the pastors whom I meant to have the privilege of mentoring, I said to them, this coronavirus is the best thing that could have happened to the church world. I tell you why. Because it gave a breathing space in all our calendar for one thing. Do you know what season we are in? The season Christians are in is a season of Lent. In other words, we go before the Lord to reflect upon our lives and to take stock of our lives and to acknowledge that we are sinners who need a savior, that Jesus came to die for our sins and he died on the Good Friday and he rose again on Easter Sunday. We come before God, we acknowledge that and we prepare this season of reflection, of fasting, of seeking Him and going before Him and crying out. How God has divinely orchestrated that the whole crisis happens during this time. Why? People have nothing else to do. Can I humbly say, enough of Netflix. Can I humbly say, enough of surfing and keeping hearing the same thing over and over again. Go before God, reflect upon your life. And say, God, is there areas of my life where I still harbor doubt? 
Is there areas of my life where I'm still harboring resentment and anger? There are areas of my life where I haven't given back to you. Return back to him this week. Today, return back to him because he's calling you. It is better to live under an open window of heaven than to really live in a shut gate experience. I want you to come before God and ask that. And do you know, interestingly, this coronavirus, when you magnify it in a lens, it has the reason why it's called corona is because it's a crown. And when you look at it in a microscope, it does look like a thorn of crown of thorns. I want to highlight to you, there was a crown of thorns that was placed upon the Lord Jesus long time ago. 2,000 years ago, the Bible says on that day when he died, he laid down his life for you and for me. His crown of thorns, the crown of thorns was placed upon his head and his his blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sins and my sins. But you and I, we need to recognize that this blood has washed us clean. This blood declares that we are righteousness of God. This blood covers us and protects us from all evil, harm and danger and evil intentions of men and women. This blood gives us the right to come before God and to declare that we are forgiven. This blood is the one that gives us everything that we desire to be part of the family of God. Church, today we have the blood of Jesus. We have the body of Jesus that was wounded for us, broken for us. We believe as people of God, we believe this. But can I humbly say this? You are partakers of this beautiful message of the gospel that Jesus came, died for you so that you have hope. He died so you can live. He became poor so you can be rich. He took all our curse so you can be blessed. He took our place so we can take his place. So even if you die in this season, you will be in heaven. Why? Because you have the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're blood-bought saint, if you've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus, you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, then you have this assurance. If I close my eyes here, my eyes will be open in heaven. I will be in kingdom of God forever. Hallelujah. But you and I cannot keep this news to ourselves. When I look at this passage, that's what I find. Four lepers running into the Syrian army's camp. I know why the Bible took that they are lepers. You know why they are lepers? Lepers are people who can't be in society. They are the outcasts. They can't help themselves. Even the word for men there is a unique word in Hebrew for men. Men, there are three words in Hebrew for men. Adam, Enos, and another word, Ish. But this is the key. Enos is the word that is used there. You know what Enos means? Enos means that they are, they are weak, frail. They can't do much for themselves. God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God chose the things that are weak to confound those with strength. I want you to recognize this. God has chosen the lepers to be the people here, to go there to find that there was food available. That's the gospel story. But you know what is the most beautiful story in that? Yes, they took of it. They partook all the bread. But suddenly they asked themselves this question, can we keep this to ourselves? I want you to read that verse with me. You know, it's beautifully written. It says in verse 9 of 2 Kings chapter 7, it says, Then they said to one another, We're not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. Can I speak to all the believers that are watching me? You and I are the beggars. You know, a great man of God actually gave a definition for evangelism like this. Evangelism is this. One beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Let me say that again. One beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That is evangelism. Here, the Bible says the lepers, the beggars went and they went back to the king's household into the city to proclaim the good news. They recognize this is a day of good news. I declare this prophetically over you today. This is not a day of bad news for you. This is a day of good news because there is a God in heaven who has a window that is open for you to live under. And when you live under that window, you and I have the responsibility to not only partake of the provision that Christ has purchased for us, but also to go into the world and to declare it. So this morning, Every head bow, every eye close all across this place. I want to apply this into your life, into my life. Number one, a personal application. The personal application is 
repent and return back to God. This is your moment not to engage in spiritual blindness, not to engage in, in, a, in a poverty of heart, a poverty of faith, but to come before God and to rise up in faith and to say, God, I believe. Not ask the questions of doubt and unbelief, but rather come before God and surrender your life totally to Him. This is the season. Now is the time to fully come back to Him. 100%, all in. Don't play games with God. The second thing is a prophetic proclamation over your life. I declare over you that your favor in the midst of your famine, God will show His favor. That could be a shut gate, but as long as you close the door of your heart and to remain in peace and faith, there is an open window about you. Align your life back to the word. Align your life back to the will of God. The open window of heaven will continue to pour out his favor upon you. And you will not lack in anything. Your God will supply all you need. But finally, I want to apply this to all of us. We have a mandate and a mission. The mandate is to walk with Jesus. And the mission is to proclaim him to the world. Like the four beggars you and I are given, the four lepers you and I have given this privilege to recognize this is a day of good news. The world needs to hear that Jesus died on the cross for them, that Jesus already forgave them. Jesus has already made the way for them, opened the door for them, for them to walk back, right back to God. That God is not mad at them. God is not judging them. This is a season for them to recognize God has already judged their sin upon the cross. On the cross of Calvary. God is not judging you. You need to come back to Him. This world will go through turmoil. But the people of God can come back to Him. And receive comfort. Receive deliverance. Receive that favor. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to our message. We pray that God's word spoke to your heart and gave you an inspiration and encouragement. If you are truly blessed by this, would you take a moment to leave a comment or give us a rating on the Apple podcast service? Not only that, take an opportunity to share this on social media platforms so others who are in similar situations may be encouraged with the word of God. We love you. If you wanna connect with our church, Go to connect.idmc.com.au and share with us where you're from, what you're doing, so that we can keep you in our prayers before the Lord. God bless you. 